Where does this day come from? Well, it's actually a bit of a mystery. We can point to all these definitive moments in church history where certain leaders in the church decided we needed particular days in the liturgical calendar, but the habit of Ash Wednesday, and Lent for that matter, is a little more complicated. As best as we can tell, there was a one- to two-day fast leading up to Easter in the early church this first couple hundred years. Fasting, of course, is about preparing one's body and focusing on the Lord, and at some point, this extended backward to a week's worth of fasting and was marked as what we call Holy Week now, Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. <clears throat> Eventually, one week grew to three, and then 40 days. We do know that once the church adopted this 40-day season leading up to Easter, it was primarily about preparing baptismal candidates to be received into the church on Easter. Now, the 40 days has all sorts of biblical connections, the 40 days and nights with Noah on the ark, the 40 years of wandering through the wilderness with Moses, even Jesus' 40 days of temptation. Today, the season of Lent exists for three main reasons. It's still a time of preparation for baptism. It's also a time of reconciliation for those estranged from the church. There are some churches out there that if you do certain things, you're asked not to come back until you can repent enough that you are welcomed into the community, and Lent is a time to do that. For us, and, and for a lot of churches, Lent is a time of repentance for the whole church as we renew our commitment to following Jesus. So no matter how it started, and no matter how it transitioned to what it is today, Lent it's a season of introspection. It's about looking inwardly, and it begins in the most introspective way of all by confronting our own mortality and our sinfulness. In other words, Ash Wednesday is not for the faint of heart. It requires a community to hold us up at a time like this when we are told the deepest truth that we would otherwise avoid at all costs. No one makes it out of this life alive. And yet there's this really strange temptation to receive, receive such a difficult truth, but then we wear it proudly and piously when we leave church with these uh, ashes in the shape of a cross on our forehead. It, it's a bit odd that these things, these ashes, have become a marker of our own faithfulness. I remember a few years ago after presiding over an Ash Wednesday service, I got on my phone and I saw all these people posting selfies with ashes smeared across their foreheads, only they didn't call them selfies, they called them hashtag ashes. Nothing could be further from the text for today. Jesus rebukes those who go around piously practicing their faith, and he does this in the midst of his Sermon on the Mount, and it's admittedly a bit ironic because at the beginning of the sermon he lists off blessings, and then he commands his followers to be salty and to shine their light so that others might know the light of Christ, and then just a few paragraphs later he tells his followers to pray in secret away from everyone else and he warns them against practicing their piety in public. Now, why does he do this? Perhaps because public piety is just another form of self-justification. It's the Pharisee in Jesus' parable who does all the right things so well that he's wrong. Well, I'm, at least I'm not like those other people is our projection of our righteousness over and against other people. It's notable that in the story Jesus tells about the parable, in that parable of the publican and the tax collector, the, 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 the Pharisee in the tax collector, the Pharisee does all the right things. He shows up, he, he tithes, he does his prayers, all those things. But this tax collector, this dirty, rotten scoundrel, he comes in and he says, Lord, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. And Jesus tells the story, and of course, he, he hammers it home at the end by saying, it's the tax, the tax collector who walks away justified, not the do-gooder who does all the right things. It's because the do-gooder doesn't see the truth of who he is. So whenever we walk around and we say, well, at least I'm not like that other person, when we project our righteousness over and against others, 
Ash Wednesday refuses to let us have any of that. Even the whole season of Lent, because it's it's a season of accusation. It's when the law is hung over our heads. It's an ever-ringing reminder that we are not as we ought to be. We can't even practice our piety publicly, according to Jesus, because we do so usually not out of our commitment to holiness or to the Lord, but because we do it to be seen by others. Now, Ash Wednesday, the irony of marking our foreheads notwithstanding, it has nothing to do with our goodness or our piety. It has nothing to do with how many bad habits we're going to try to drop or how many good ones we're going to try to adopt. Ash Wednesday, oddly enough, is about grace. You know, the ashes that we have in the sanctuary, they point us toward the strange and the devious links between sin and death and rebellion. You know, we use ashes because in the Old Testament, they repent in dust and ashes. Even the words that I will say, remember, you are dust and to dust you shall return. Those words come from Genesis when Adam and Eve received their punishment for their sin because they reached for that fruit on the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. I mean, judgment, Peter reminds us, comes first for the household of God. The ashes remind us of our fragility, our finitude, but more important than the ashes themselves is the fact that we receive them in the form and in the shape of the cross. Therefore, the ashes are both a reminder of our failure, but also of Christ's victory at the exact same time. This is the day, Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent, this is the day that we are bold to confess our truth, that we are sinners, that we are failures, that we are not righteous. What do we say in the prayer of confession? Lord, we have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have failed to be an obedient church, all that. But what do we say at the end? And yet Christ dies for us while we are yet sinners, and that proves God's love toward us. Which means, despite how hard the words are for me to say or even for you to receive, the crosses on our foreheads are the great declaration of God that there is nothing we can do or leave undone that will ever separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus. You know, Lent, contrary to how we often imagine it, is not about how angry God is with us for our sins, even though God has every right to be angry with us. Lent is actually about how God, in Christ, intervenes on our behalf to make a way where there is no way. We therefore don't practice our piety publicly or privately in order to appease God. Instead, we receive these ashes as a sign of the great gift of grace that comes to us no matter what. You know, Jesus' words about our behavior, particularly as we enter the season of Lent, they cut straight to the heart. But sometimes that's exactly what we need. Our hard-heartedness often renders us convinced that we have to earn our ticket to heaven, whereas the crosses on our foreheads remind us that heaven has already come to us. In the end, we're not called to be good or virtuous or even pious. We're called to be disciples. We're called to follow. And following often leads us to the cross. The cross reminds us that we can't fix ourselves. In any other place, in any other institution, that is unmitigated bad news. But here in church, it's the gospel. It's good news because nobody, not the devil, not the world, not even ourselves, can ever take us away from the love that refuses to let us go. But I like the way Paul put it. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We are ashes, we are dust, and to dust we shall return. But the cross means that dust is not the end. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.